Hey, if you're in the autonomous vehicle or mobility space, don't forget we've just recently launched our new AV and mobility strategy consulting firm, Hogan Co. We've got partners in Amsterdam, Paris, and right here in San Francisco, as well as associates around the world. All of our members are either PhDs, attorneys, engineers, or startup founders with extensive experience in the autonomous vehicle and mobility space. If you have any questions or you'd like to chat further, please check out our new website at hogandco.com or visit us on all social media at hogandco. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O. All right, it's Friday, the 7th of February, 2020. And this is episode 133, the Cruise Origin episode, and it's the first ever video podcast. For the past year or so, many of you have suggested that I do video versions of my podcasts, and so, well, I've finally done it, not least of which because, well, having been invited to Cruise's big reveal party for the Cruise Origin, obviously I got a lot of photos and videos while there at the event, uh, which, by the way, you can see many of them over at, uh, let's see, my Twitter and Instagram accounts at Autonomous Hogue. That's A-U-T-O-N-O-M-O-U-S-H-O-A-G. But you can also head over to YouTube and do a search for Autonomous Hogue, or perhaps Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, and you'll find my YouTube channel. While you're there, check out the most recently uploaded video. It's episode 133. It's this episode. Yeah, this is my first ever video podcast. Um, and by the way, while you're there, please do subscribe because if I get 100 of you, and I've almost I've almost got that, um, it's not like I've been uploading tons of content lately. Once I reach 100, I can finally get a custom YouTube URL. So anyway, yeah, do check it out over there. Obviously, I don't care really whether you listen to it here on your favorite podcast platform or you watch it over on YouTube. But um, frankly, considering it's my first one, I would love if you did it. And then while you're there, be sure to leave me any sort of comments you like. Um, and I'll be sure to respond to you as best I can. But uh, in any event, I hope you're sitting comfortably, whether you watch it or listen Episode 133, The Cruise Origin Reveal Party. It's a pretty great episode. Begins now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back, only this time it's a bit different because, well, this is happening. Yes, I'm on video. We've obviously been talking about doing this for, I don't know, the better part of the past year or so, and I decided it's finally time to give it a shot. Not totally random this episode, though, because the idea was that a few weeks ago I got invited to Cruz's origin reveal party in San Francisco. Um, and well, obviously I got a lot of good footage of my own. And so I decided, well, why not throw it into a video? And when I thought about that, I realized, well, maybe that's the perfect opportunity to, well, do the first ever podcast video. And so, well, here we are. Now, obviously this audio will be ripped out and uploaded as usual to an ordinary podcast that you can listen to on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or 
any number of, I think, 10 or 11 other different of your favorite podcast platforms. But suffice to say, then, this will hopefully be the first of a series of ongoing videos that I'll be doing henceforth, if only because people have said, yeah, I should probably give it a shot. Um, we shall see. No idea whether it's going to actually catch, but uh, obviously do let me know as usual in the, well, I guess in the YouTube comments. Uh, and of course, you can tweet me at autonomous hogue and uh, so on and so forth um right so today then what we are going to do is well you can see i'm all properly kitted out in my uh there you go my cruise uh swag um look it really was an amazing event um i uh, what can i say i'm genuinely impressed i think that what crews are up to here is precisely the right thing and as i've been saying to others i think they've basically won and i say won. it depends how you define what it means to win. For me, then, I'm going to define winning like this. If you've got a product which at least conceivably, well, more or less works anyway, um, and if it's essentially ready for level 5 use, or even if it's a level 5 capable car but downgraded to level 4 in the sense that it's only autonomous in certain geofenced areas, which is almost certainly going to be, and if it's really ready for prime time, for actual deployment, if it's not just a prototype, if it's not just sort of a concept and it's actually ready to go live, I would say you've won. Because what we've got today is, well, nobody else. I mean, I guess we could say that uh, Ford's Argo AI are doing some pretty nice stuff down uh, in Florida, for instance, at the retirement home. We've talked about them, or I should say the retirement home facility. We've talked about them quite a bit. Um, but that's still a bit different. They've got backup drivers, they're regular cars, Ford Fusions, I believe, with backup drivers. This, though, I mean, look at it. It's literally, uh, well, this is the stuff that we've been talking about forever. This is the stuff that science fiction has been promising forever. It's the stuff that we've imagined the future of autonomy is going to look like, and now, finally, we've got it. This, I think, is it. It is, well, it's a pretty cool-looking thing if you're into sort of boxy things. Um, and when you look at it, and especially the interior, you realize, well, for me anyway, there was two kind of things that dawned on me. The first was, this looks really cool. It looks modern. It looks high tech. It looks cool. And wow, it does kind of look like a thing out of the future. But what was funny was the more time I spent, well, I was going to say in it. I didn't actually step inside. Although in retrospect, I probably should have tried. Sorry for that. Um, but when you look inside and you look at the, the screen up on the wall there and the, you know, the display that kind of gives you information about your current ride, your next stop, and so forth. I had this really interesting feeling where I thought, well, this somehow felt normal. It somehow felt, and I say this in a good way, it didn't really seem like that big of a deal. It didn't seem like something that just kind of beamed down from the 23rd century. On the contrary, it kind of reminded me a bit of... I don't know, pick your favorite high-techy sort of airports in the world. I'll, I'll say Munich or, or Frankfurt or somewhere, right? You've got these really nice modern trains that zip you around the airport terminals. This kind of reminded me of that. And so in that respect, then, it wasn't really, it wasn't really a disconnect from reality. And I think that's really important. I think, it, yeah, it's a bit of a trick because when you first look at it, you think, oh my gosh, how can I do this? I'm getting into an autonomous car. There's no driver. There's no steering wheel. And then you get into it, and as soon as that door slides shut, you sort of forget you're in a car in anything other than name. Car. I mean, because it isn't a car. It is, it's like a little shuttle pod. It's 
a box with wheels which gets you from A to B, and in that respect, I guess what I'm trying to say is if instead of rolling on rubber tires on a road on which other actual cars and vehicles go, um, if, if instead of that it were running on a train track, say, you wouldn't even give it any additional thought. And that's my point. You wouldn't give it a second thought. You just get in and it's a train, albeit a rather modern, futuristic little sort of a train, one pod car in size, not linked, multiple cars, and seating, what, four, five, maybe six passengers comfortably. In a funny sort of way, it kind of reminds me of actually a black London taxi, right? So if you've ever been in those taxi cabs, they are awesome, the, the, the black cabs, right? You get inside and you've got, you can sit facing each other. There's a ton of floor space for your luggage. Uh, just remember, do not put your feet up on the chair opposite you. Um, but on the flip side, you don't have to mind the gap. So that's kind of nice. You just kind of get in without fear of falling onto the tracks below. So anyway, look, joking aside, though, I think that's what makes this so special. It's it's its normalcy that makes it special. Right. So that's the vehicle itself. Again, here, I'm going to um, show you a bit of videos here. Maybe I'll attach some at the end. I don't know. But in any event here, take a look at this. You can see here up on the stage as the doors are opening and you know how the thing looks it just looks great it appears bigger than it is until you stand next to it and you realize it isn't actually that big it is a bit tall i suppose maybe rather like a large suv but in fact the dimensions by design of course are intentionally to be about the size of a regular car this of course is essential to make sure it can get around cities and urban areas with no greater difficulty than a regular car so this is i think a really big deal as well um so let's talk about the actual thing, right? So what is, what is GM promising? What have they told us? What, you know, when can we expect this thing? What's its range? Is it gonna be limited to certain areas? Is it gonna be in some cities, but not other cities? Well, look, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of details. Um, so one of the only numerical metrics that we were given was something like, uh, look, the average person apparently spends about $5,000 a year on transport, whether that's due to their own car payments and fuel and parking, or whether it's due to Ubering or lifting somewhere. So the promise with the cruise origin, of course, is that, well, you guessed it, it's going to cost something less than 5000 because, of course, it must. Here, have a listen to what Dan Amon says, the CEO of Cruise. The cruise origin will have a lifespan of well over 1 million miles. And that's at least six times more than today's average car. So let's make this really simple. The Origin is gonna drive all day and all night. It costs a lot less to make than you'd expect. It's gonna last more than a million miles and you can share it. And that is what will put $5,000 back into your pocket. Now. Stepping aside for a moment, I think the optimal case is going to be where this is going to be essentially free to passengers for a certain, uh, well, within a certain duration, I suppose. My analogy for that, of course, is parking structures. So one of the things that always amazed me about parking lots in L.A., and when I say L.A., I mean specifically the west side that I'm familiar with, so Westwood by UCLA as well as Beverly Hills, they have always done something, and this was true 10 years, 15 years ago when I lived there, and it's still true, shockingly, today, parking structures are free. Underground parking lots are free for the first hour or two, after which they're only a dollar or two extra, if I remember correctly. The point is, I think what's happening is that local businesses are probably subsidizing these lots um, to, to kind of bring business, right? And it works great. In fact, funny enough, it's less than or equal to the price 
of parking on the street to park in the lot. And the best bit is you can't get ticketed for anything like forgetting to feed your meter. So by every possible metric, you always want to park in a lot. I think that's the proper way that things are going to have to go for autonomous pod cars like the Cruise Origin, where instead of having a cost which passengers pay as a matter of course all of the time, I think maybe up to a certain duration, whether it's time, miles, some combination thereof, whether it's maybe a certain amount of days out of the the, the calendar month, for instance, I think that the vehicles themselves should actually be free. But the trick is, is that in this case, the travel costs are going to be picked up by the cities. Yeah, here's where I'm going with this. I think I think the cities might actually find out that they have an incentive to buy these things en masse and then essentially provide them for free to the populace, again, with maybe some upper bound on use. This isn't really that crazy when you consider the fact that many cities are actually already providing free public transit. Um, this is a really big deal, and it actually obviously helps further the adoption rate of public transit. And in this case, what's the difference for a city, whether the public transit is a bus or a train or a, or a pod car? Now, I get it. Some cities have big transit unions who are going to really resist this. I'm not suggesting to bring these things in as an alternative to buses and trains and subways, but rather as an additional thing. It's just kind of part of the network. So, yes, of course, then there's going to be the discussion of, well, what about potential transit operators losing their jobs as drivers for buses or operators for trains? Yeah, that's always going to be a big question. I, it's not going to be a binary result. It's not one or the other. You do kind of all of these together. <clears throat> so we're going to let the market decide what works best. The reason this is a big deal, and I think the reason why it should be deployed this way, is because this way you let passengers slowly transition to and learn about how these new forms of transit work, and it stops to be this sort of scary thing. And and there isn't really a risk factor for them anymore, right? Um, thing is, though, uh, it's going to take a bit of a transition period, right, for people to get comfortable with a truly autonomous thing like this. But again, I really believe that once they're in the vehicle, they will actually forget that it's a car at all, and they will really feel that they're on a train. I think that's what's critical. The other thing is that by making it essentially free, you really help that transition period. Um, but let's let's talk about how we're going to actually see these deployed. Now, my big concern, and I say concern, my biggest critique actually is what on earth is the deployment plan? What is the game plan for this? And if this sounds at all familiar, this question of what do you do? Well, it's because it keeps popping up a lot. I can't really think of any other industry, any new sort of technological development where we had a bunch of brilliant ideas, a bunch of great tech that was so kind of insular in its existence in the world, where you've got this great tech, but you didn't know what to do with it. So imagine, for example, I don't know, um, okay, when, when Apple released the iPhone, granted, it didn't have the App Store yet, but it's not like they built this amazing tech and then said to themselves, hmm, I don't know what we're going to do with this, how we're going to deploy it, where we're going to sell it, what, 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 what cell phone operators to work with. But they just had this tech, they were just sitting on it. Well, what if they didn't do anything? Well, that's kind of what's happening here with Cruise and frankly, everybody else who's developing this great tech. I've never seen such a disconnect between tech and market where you've got this just this massive gap. It's sort of like 
there's just like a like an idea gap. We've got all these brilliant engineers working on something awesome, but somehow nobody's on the team to actually realize it and bring it to market. I do think Cruise is by far and away the first along. Um, well, okay, Tesla also, but in an admittedly rather different sort of way. And I, I do still have a lot of faith in what Tesla are doing. And speaking about good go-to market strategies on a somewhat separate note, uh, Rivian's recent announcement that they're going to be essentially licensing their electric vehicle uh, platform to other manufacturers. And of course, we just heard that Lincoln has signed up to do precisely that for Ford Lincoln's first EV truck. That's brilliant. But here we have the same problem with Cruise. Here's my concern. San Francisco finally just shut down its main thoroughfare, its main artery to all private vehicles. To be clear what that means, um, only buses, uh, surface trains, um, so streetcars, let's see, taxis, crucially not Uber and Lyft or other such ride-sharing platforms, and of course emergency vehicles, delivery trucks, except for those vehicles, so no private vehicles can use Market Street from the San Francisco Ferry Building all the way down to 10th Street, which is, for those of you who know the area, it's actually where the Twitter offices are based. So for those of you who don't know the area, go to Google Maps, uh, search for the San Francisco Ferry Building, then get directions to Twitter's HQ on 10th Street, you will see exactly what I'm talking about. So that's a pretty huge stretch of road. Now you can still cross it at all the cross streets, of course, which I say, of course, I think it should be like every other cross street or every several cross streets, not every one, but whatever. It's a, it's a good start. Um, and the idea, of course, is to make this much more sort of free-flowing for things like pedestrians, bicyclists, uh, and buses. So you can see where I'm going with this if you've heard numerous rants of mine in the past where I've suggested forever that what needs to happen is that Cruise needs to take the, uh, the Origins concept to its logical next step. Again, treat it like a train, treat it like a bus. They should have already in place a, a, a an agreement with the city of San Francisco where they're going to be operating these things on the bus lanes on Market Street, just like the buses and trains. The best thing about this is that it is a really long stretch of road. Your only options are yeah, walking, biking, taking the bus, which is awful, taking the subway, which is less awful, taking BART, which is, well, depending on your time of day and your tastes and preferences, well, your mileage could vary. So I think if you were to offer this cruise as an alternative, that would just be super cool. It would be awesome. And furthermore, it would be the best test environment for cruise because let's kind of extend this to its logical, shall we say, lower bound of complexity, as it were. Imagine you've got a dedicated lane for cruise on Market Street, which is, let's say, physically walled off to anything else, so nobody can interfere with it. That's effectively a perfectly safe uh, use case where really nothing is going to go wrong, and to cruise's uh, credit, I believe they will have no problem operating a cruise origin or other such vehicle of theirs on a perfectly dedicated, walled-off, protected lane. Well then, let's extend this a bit further. Drop the protected walls, just have a dedicated lane, let the cruise operate there like any other vehicle. This would work. Cruise could do this today. If I'm wrong, hey, somebody at Cruise, step up and own up to it that no, you actually aren't that good, that you kind of suck, and you're not that far along. I don't believe that's the case. I believe you really could do that, and that's what you should be doing. So, could somebody tell me why nobody in San Francisco has gone over to Cruise and said, hey, Cruise, we want you to do this. We want to test these vehicles, and oh, by the way, yeah, we'll buy up a couple of them too and offer them for free to pedestrians. This is, this is the obvious way to do things. I don't know why it's not happening. That's my big concern, and I, I just, I really think this needs to be 
Um, this needs to be the approach. So if I sound excessively excited and yet frustrated at the same time about what crews are doing, well, it's because, yeah, I've been saying forever I'm a huge fan. Look, I do have the swag because um, I went to their event at the, uh, the, the Young Science Museum a few, a few months ago. I, I've been a huge fan of crews forever. Um, and, you know, when I see a city like San Francisco that has the opportunity to really jump on top of this and really get involved from the beginning and really take the lead... And seeing that they've taken the first step by deleting pedestrians and private vehicles on Market Street, that's a great first step. But why isn't this thing happening? Why aren't we seeing this happening yet? It, it could happen right now, today. I don't care if it's just one of these little cruise origin pod cars. Just start somewhere. Because remember, the big challenge is going to be for any company trying to deploy these things, not just the tech just the tech, not just the tech, not just figuring out some go-to market strategy that actually works, but crucially, it's going to be the human element. It's going to be customer acceptance. It's going to be making sure that people are okay with these things. And that's going to begin by ensuring that they have an easy, low-friction, cost-effective, let's say it, free way to test them. By the way, speaking of customer acceptance, we just launched the largest autonomous vehicles consumer acceptance survey in the world. You can take it now over at our website at hogandco.com. That's H-O-A-G-A-N-D-C-O. That's the only way this is going to fly. And I think if that's not done sooner rather than later, it's just a huge, tremendous missed opportunity. So... Okay, I've been rambling on for a bit now. That is really kind of my most transparent kind of stream of consciousness thoughts. Um, thank you so much for listening. That's a wrap for today. Have a wonderful weekend. Until next time, bye-bye.